From WWNO in New Orleans and WRKF in Baton Rouge, this is Louisiana Considered. I'm Bob Pavlovich. On the show today, New Orleans live oaks are falling down and palm trees are succumbing to a disease known as lethal bronzing. Jesse Mudge, owner and lead arborist of NOLA Tree Solutions, tells us more about protecting and preserving arbor health in the city. Plus, we continue our series of interviews with the candidates running to be Louisiana's next governor. We'll listen back to an interview with Republican Attorney General and frontrunner Jeff Landry. But first, a few weeks ago, we reported on the Baton Rouge Police Department's Brave Cave, a narcotics processing warehouse used as an interrogation chamber before being shut down in August. There's been a development in the story, but first, a note. Our discussion will include topics that some listeners might find disturbing, including descriptions of sexual abuse. Earlier this week, a woman filed a lawsuit accusing BRPD officers of sexual battery at the facility. Lara Nicholson is covering the story for The Advocate, and she joins us now for this update. Thanks for being here, Lara. Hey, good to see you all. The plaintiff in this case, Turnell Brown, alleges that she was illegally strip-searched at the Brave Cave and released without being criminally charged. Can, Can you tell us more about what happened to her while she was in BRPD custody? According to her lawsuit, the way it pretty much began was last June, she was pulled over by two BRPD officers who searched her car um, and found a gun and pill bottle containing multiple prescriptions. Um, I believe her lawsuit alleges she was detained over the pill bottle, even though her attorneys say it's perfectly legal to own multiple prescriptions in one bottle. Um, I know she had also tried to Uh, tell officers that she could show proof of those prescriptions being her own and they weren't interested in looking at them. And so rather than doing that, they uh, detained her and brought her to this facility that has already been the subject of a lot of controversy in recent weeks. And while she was there, she alleges that she was ordered to undress and um, spread her vagina to two male officers and one female officer so they could check her with a flashlight. Um, Her attorneys say that she was held there for over two hours, and at the end of it, she was released without any criminal charges. Hmm. The lawsuit also claims BRPD Chief of Staff Myron Daniels tried to shelter the street crimes unit and its leader, Lorenzo Coleman, because of private business interest. What's going on there? So Myron Daniels and Lorenzo Coleman do own a business together, um, which we've seen on social media and through business filings. It's a security consulting group. And according to the lawsuit, this business has been sort of creating a conflict of interest in which Daniels has failed to recuse himself from investigations involving Lorenzo Coleman, his unit, his officers, Myron also used to be the commander over the Internal Affairs Division, which is the part of BRPD that's in charge of doing these internal investigations into potential misconduct. And so um, Ms. Brown's attorneys do also make a specific allegation saying that when he was the commander over that unit, he did personally shut down an internal affairs investigation into Lorenzo Coleman. Uh, But there weren't any further details provided into how we intervened and you know, the details on the investigation or anything. Mm -hmm. BRPD did decline to comment on that specific accusation since it's now part of pending litigation. 
Former BRPD officer Troy Lawrence Jr. resigned shortly after the alleged beating of another man in custody at the Brave Cave when that came to light last month. He was involved in another strip search scandal in 2021. Now he's named in Brown's lawsuit. What what was his involvement in her arrest? Yeah. So, yeah, Troy Lawrence Jr. has been named in several lawsuits that have been filed against the department in um, several years previous. Uh, in this current one that we're talking about, he's one of the two male officers accused of pulling over Miss Brown, taking her to this facility and conducting this strip and body cavity search on her. Hmm. Who's investigating the Brave Cave? I know the mayor uh, has called for uh, the investigation. Have we heard any findings from them? Yeah, so the current, the the way this investigation is sort of structured is they're going to be performing two internal uh, investigations on different levels. So you have the one side, there's an administrative investigation going on. So this is internal affairs, like I mentioned before. Those types of investigations can result in disciplinary action, like terminations and suspensions. But in addition to that, they're also conducting a new criminal investigation that they announced last month. And so Obviously, that one could result in actual criminal charges for officers. Another development that's been, uh, you know, new to the public this week is Murphy Paul has announced that he is cooperating with federal investigators at the FBI over this facility. And so Mm -hmm. um, there aren't a whole lot of details on that front, but it sounds like the federal government has gotten involved. And um, there haven't been any findings or anything released from any of these investigations Uh, The only developments that have occurred are Troy Lawrence's resignation, like we mentioned earlier, and then now two officers were suspended earlier this week or put on administrative leave, one of whom was at the street crimes unit right before it shut down, and then another one um, was part of the special response team now when he's being put on leave, but was previously involved in that unit. Um, But it's unclear right now what they were put on leave over, there haven't been details provided on that, but it does come amid all of this controversy. We've been speaking with Laura Nicholson, who covers crime for The Advocate, about the latest on BRPD's Brave Cave scandal. Thanks for joining us, Laura. Thank you. New Orleans trees are in trouble. First, there are the live oaks, those mossy tree canopies that line our city streets. They've been falling down, with one causing severe brain damage to a teenage tourist back in July. Then there are the palm trees, many of which are suffering from a disease known as lethal bronzing, a disease that's already spread through six parishes. And when trees fall or die of disease, it's not only costly and inconvenient to remove, it disrupts and further jeopardizes our ecosystem. Here to tell us more about tree health in New Orleans is Jesse Mudge, owner and lead arborist of NOLA Tree Solutions. Thanks for being here, Jesse. Hey, Bob. Thanks for having me. Let's start with the live oaks. Are more live oaks falling down or breaking limbs, breaking off or dying this year than in previous years? Yeah, I would say so as far as, um, you know, major, major damage and uh, uprooting. You don't typically see that, and um, I think uh, some of that is due to the drought that we have. You know, some of it is also just, you know, neglect catching up with itself. Other than the drought, do you see any other causes for that? A lot of times when there's, um, these trees are in an urban environment, you have, you know, they're up against uh, streets and there's construction around them. 
oftentimes the root zones get damaged and um, you know it affects the um, the way it's anchored into the ground so that it affects the stability and then also its ability to uptake nutrients and water. Of course, there was the teenage tourist who endured significant brain damage after a French Quarter tree limb fell on him. A lawsuit was filed by his attorney, and the claim is that the trees were supposed to be inspected by a group, uh, Arbor Pro, but that inspection was not completed, and information about trees' conditions may not have been reported. So in your experience, what are the city rules when it comes to inspecting the health of trees? So the city, they are supposed to have contracted arborists inspect those trees. And, um, you know, as you know, they're liable, you know, for the health of the city trees. Arbor Pro did a survey in 2019, and I think they said um, there's somewhere around 104,000 trees that they surveyed. Of those trees, they said... Roughly 50% of them are in good condition, maybe a l- slightly more than that. Another like 40-something percent are in fair condition, and then uh, the last few percentage is in critical or dead condition. But that leaves, you know, half the trees are healthy, and then the other half are, you know, fair or worse. Fair is not not how you want your the health of your tree described. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of neglect in those those trees. And they're not being cared for the way they need to be. To your understanding, how how does it work if the arborists see a tree in the city and they go, that tree's not in good condition? It, is there a process they have to go through? Because I know a lot of New Orleanians don't want anyone to touch their oak tree. Sure. Certain companies that are contracted with the city, they have... They typically report those to the city, and then the city will direct them to remove them. In some cases that are an emergency um, or things like that, they have discretion to to remove those. But that's only um, you know contracted um, companies that the city hires directly. Turning to the palm trees, lethal bronzing is the name of the disease that's causing problems. What do we know about it? What's causing it? With lethal bronzing... Um, it affects the trees, um, obviously, in a way that um, is causing damage to the health of the tree. And like you said, it's spreading through our area and other areas. And once, uh, once that um, infects the tree, there's not much you can do with, with it. And the problem is that um, a lot of times it spreads and infests the tree before you can treat it, basically. By the time you realize that the tree is infected... There's not too much you can do at that point. Is lethal bronzing a death sentence for the palm? I would say so, yes. Mm-hmm. We're speaking with Jesse Mudge, owner and lead arborist of NOLA Tree Solutions, about uh, tree health in New Orleans. So it seems like we're losing a lot of trees, Jesse, high numbers. Um, is anything being done to replace them? Uh, yes, the city is, um, is working on a, a plan to, um, to re-green the city. And that includes uh, replanting a lot of a lot of trees in the area. And they have other um, companies as well that that work um, to uh, regreen the urban environment that we have. What should individuals do if they they see a palm? They suspect the lethal bronzing, or if they're worried about their their oak tree. Always inspect your trees. Trees should be inspected annually. When you inspect the tree, you're looking for. The canopy, you know, that's what you notice first. Um, you know, look for the proper color of the leaves, whether that's a, a vibrant, you know, green, healthy color. 
if you notice sections of the tree that are starting to lose their color, turning brown when they shouldn't, or sections of the canopy starting to what they call die back where you have like dead twigs at the end. That's the first sign. But also from there, you want to look at the limbs themselves and the tree trunk and the roots even. A lot of tree health starts at the roots. You're looking for any type of, uh, of decay, fungus, and things like that growing on the ground around the roots. And that's always um, typically a sign of some sort of decay, whether it's uh, root rot or trunk rot. You're looking for signs of insect infestation, whether that's termites or beetles, different things like that. We know that native plants are always helpful to their natural ecosystems. Are there any specific types of trees or other things we should be incorporating into our gardens? Live oaks are are natural to our area, and you see a lot of them. In addition to that, cypress trees, uh, magnolia trees, those are all natural to the area. You want to look at the characteristics of that tree to make sure that they fit the area in the urban environment in which they're being planted. Oftentimes, the mistake is made where a tree that, when it's mature, will grow to a larger size than that area accommodates, and that'll cause issues in itself for the tree. So proper tree selection is a big, um, a big issue. Jesse Mudge, owner and lead arborist of NOLA Tree Solutions, uh, thank you for your insights, knowledge, and for being here. Oh, my pleasure, and thank you for having me. From WWNO in New Orleans and WRKF in Baton Rouge, you're listening to Louisiana Considered. I'm Bob Pavlovich. The primary election for the Louisiana governor's race is coming up, so this week we're replaying our interviews with the top candidates. Today we bring you a conversation with Attorney General Jeff Landry. The Republican candidate is the frontrunner, and much like the Republican frontrunner for the presidential race, Donald Trump, Landry has abstained from most of the debates. Except, of course, last week, when he made what is presumed to be his one debate appearance. According to the most recent polls, Landry is 18 points ahead of Democrat Sean Wilson and 22 points ahead of the next Republican, Stephen Wagaspak. Earlier this year, Landry spoke with the Times-Picayune The Advocate's editorial director and columnist Stephanie Grace about the issues like violent crime, culture wars, and abortion access. Today, we give that conversation a second listen. I think it's fair to say that you're the highest profile candidate in the early stage of this governor's race. You've been the attorney general for eight years. You've got the endorsement of both the state Republican Party and former President Donald Trump. And you've been on the front pages a lot for pursuing a number of causes, some of them controversial. Uh, So I wanted to start by asking you to share something that our listeners might not know about you. Uh, You know, I, I don't know that many people understand my entire background, you know, <clears throat> my family uh, on both my mother and father's side has been in Louisiana for over 300 years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, especially for the New Orleans area, my aunt spent a tremendous amount of time here in the city of New Orleans uh, as a, a writer for then the Times-Picayune. She was a food critic. Marcel Bienvenu uh, wrote. Um, she worked for a number of um, of the great chefs. Actually, she, she had a start at Commanders. Um, I can remember being 
just a mm-hmm. child and going there and having them. Uh, Paul Proudhon was a chef at the time. Right. I can remember he'd, he'd give us big chocolate mousses <laughs> and all the good things that you give kids. When so they, even uh, though you have that yeah. Cajun accent, you, you spent a lot of time in New Orleans. I did. I did. My godfather's actually from the city of New Orleans as well. So there's a, a lot of relationship between me growing up and the city of New Orleans. Uh, and, and I did a lot of things um, uh, after high school. You know, I was in the National Guard, got activated uh, for D- Desert Storm, uh, worked on a farm, worked as a police officer and a sheriff's deputy while I was in college, uh, ran my own business. Mm-hmm. So I was a business owner uh, and then later on went to law school. So I did a lot of things. I tell people that's kind of what happens to a child with ADD and no medication <laughs> at the time. Right. Let's kind of delve into some of the issues a little bit. Uh, You've made fighting violent crime a centerpiece of your campaign, particularly in the state's big cities. My question is, what specifically can a governor do on this front? And also, is there an initiative from your time as attorney general that you can point to that that you think made a dent in the problem? Yeah, look, I I think that certainly we know that a governor can have an impact uh, on crime. We we see uh, the impact that that the governor's criminal justice reinvestment act made i, I believe back in 2017 mm-hmm. I, I think it was well documented uh, my quote was basically at that time in 2017 i said if the legislature continues to do the things that they are doing to our criminal justice system then we will see over the course of the next 10 years an increase in violent crime uh, the amount of violent crime that we've seen right now louisiana has three cities in the top 10 most dangerous cities in the country mm-hmm. now we're four and a half million people and the, and the cities are New Orleans, Baton Rouge, and Shreveport. That's correct. New Orleans, Baton Rouge, and Shreveport. And they've held those positions for two years in a row. Right. So you see a direct causation between the uh, criminal justice reforms, I, they're generally called, and what's happening now? I, I, I see a direct correlation between tinkering with our criminal justice system with the goal of letting people out of jail mm-hmm. rather than the goal should be how do we keep people from going to jail right right and so if I you mean, just those say, were non it was targeting nonviolent people well but I, yeah but that, because I, I i don't believe that i don't, don't. I, I don't believe that that our jails are full of people who are who are incarcerated for nonviolent offenses because as a as a former police officer mm-hmm. as a former sheriff's deputy as an attorney general for the last 8 years who's worked at at the head with many many prosecutors Okay, I can tell you that our criminal justice system has always, and, and in this country as a whole, has has always tried uh, to create an atmosphere where, is that when good people make a bad decision, they get a second chance. Look, I reformed. I had a complete reformation of our, of, of our drug court system two years ago, put a bill through, put a, put a bipartisan coalition together, had bipartisan votes in the House and the Senate, and the governor vetoed the bill. That's true criminal justice. And, and the bill would have done what? The, well, what the bill would have done is the bill would have reformed our, our, our drug court program to ensure that every judicial district in the state had a drug court program mm-hmm. and that the drug court program was funded using the money that we received from the opioid settlement that we were engaged in. And, 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 and it put in place some, some, some stricter parameters about how that money was going to be used so, yes, the governor can absolutely have an impact on crime, and we can do it through ensuring that our criminal justice system says, hey, if you are a good person making a bad decision, we're going to give you a second chance. Mm-hmm. If you're a bad person and you do real, real bad things, we're going to put you away for a long time. A lot to think about there, but let's move on to another issue yeah. that where there's also a lot to think about, which is um, abortion. 
And um, as you know, most of the candidates in this race are opposed to abortion, which is now mostly illegal in, in Louisiana since Roe v. Wade was overturned. Uh, but you've been kind of vocal about the law, the part of the law that allows for prosecution of doctors who you believe violate the ban. And you know, I'm sure you know that this kind of thing has caused some real concern about whether women who have complications or miscarry can get the care they need. Well, so I'm wondering just what you have to say to them. Well, let me tell you something. First of all, what I think has been um, a disservice to the state is the media not accurately reporting the things that were going on in abortion clinics around the state of Louisiana when they were there. Mm-hmm. We just finally unsealed all of the documents that the federal court had in the in, in, in the types of services and the poor services and the poor health care services that women were, were receiving in those particular clinics. And it's been no outcry of that, okay? Mm-hmm. So if we're going to talk about women's health, there's been no one who has defended women's health better than me. Okay. We also implemented constitutional protections right. for life, right. which means that which means that those protections and some of those protections were signed by Democrat governors. That's true. Okay. Yes. And so what that says is is that's the will of the people. Okay. I also have been very careful. In fact, we made it very clear that the law certainly protects women who are pregnant, who have um, medical complications, that those doctors have a tremendous amount of discretion in order to address the health care and the health and safety of the women and the viability of... It sounds like some of their lawyers are telling them they don't. That's exactly correct. I, I agree with that. And okay. we have been very direct with medical providers and networks, and we worked with the medical board to ensure that, because I do believe that. Look, right now, Stephanie, the state of Louisiana is on all of the bad lists. Mm -hmm. We just talked about crime. Let's go to education. Let's go to the economy. We're the only state in the South. I call it the SEC, and of course you know. (laughs) Every one of those states, Stephanie, have more people moving in than moving out. I mean, right now, Mississippi is beating us Time and time again, when we used to be able to get right behind Mississippi and say, well, we can. At least there's Mississippi. Exactly. But it's not anymore. Yeah. That tells us that we've got some fundamental and structural things that we have to fix in this state. Well, you know, I was that actually leads right to my next question, which was, you know, we do have these fundamental structural things. We have the out migration and the poor rankings and the insurance crisis and you can go on and on. So kind of given all that, I, I think a question is. Why library? Again, again, I, we seem to be talking about issues that certainly are not the most important issues on the voters' right. minds in the state of Louisiana. Right. Okay. I mean, this I, is an I, issue, libraries, that's an it, issue that you, it, you have really kind of Well, it's an issue. Promoted. No, it's not an issue that I promoted. It's an issue that came to my attention from concerned parents. And mm-hmm. we did a report. And we and I would, look, anyone and who's listening out there, I, I would absolutely, I would absolutely encourage people who are listening to go to our website at agjefflandry.com, download the report that we put on. Mm-hmm. Download that report. And that report is was done with a lot of careful thought. I think it is important that inside of our institutions of learning, that, that we encourage children how to think, not what to think. We're not directing them. Okay, we should be encouraging them that there's a great big world out there. But at the same time, we also have to be cognizant of protections of children. Jeff Landry, Attorney General of Louisiana and candidate for governor, thank you so much. Thank you.
From WWNO in New Orleans and WRKF in Baton Rouge, you've been listening to Louisiana Considered. I'm Bob Pavlovich. Thanks to our guests, reporter for the Baton Rouge Advocate, Laura Nicholson, owner and lead arborist of NOLA Tree Solutions, Jesse Mudge, Republican Attorney General and gubernatorial candidate, Jeff Landry, and Times-Picayune The Advocate's editorial director and columnist, Stephanie Grace. Our managing producer is Alana Schreiber. Our assistant producer is Aubrey Procell. Our engineer is Garrett Pittman. You can listen to Louisiana Considered Monday through Friday at noon and 7 p.m. It's available on Spotify, Google Play, and wherever you get your podcasts. Major support for Louisiana Considered provided by Rouse's Markets, a Louisiana shopping experience, with additional support from the Greater New Orleans Foundation.